Welcome to Defenders TV Podcast, episode 46, looking at Agent Carter, season 2, episode 3, aka Better Angels. What's up, guys? I'm back. They gave me control of the mic once again. <laughs> uh, welcome to Defenders TV Podcast. We, we're now on episode 46. Mm-hmm. Can you believe it? I know. Uh, we're looking at season two, episode three, aka Better Angels. I'm leaving in the aka. Just for <laughs> Yeah, this is not Jessica no, Jones. But it's coming over with me uh, of Agent Carter. So welcome. I'm Chris. I'm Derek, one of your other hosts. And I round out the group with being called John. <laughs> I think you forgot your name yeah, there for I a did. second. Uh, it was like, ah. Uh, uh, okay, guys. Name? Episode three. Mm-hmm. Very quickly, first impressions. Ah, this was fantastic. Uh, I said last week in last week's podcast about episode two that I'm loving the fact that Agent Carter is really getting more connected to the comic books. I didn't expect this to be as connected to the comic books and the movie universe as episode three is. Loved it. Really loved it. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought the writing was really shoddy. I thought... <laughs> oh, no, sorry. Uh, wrong no, show. Wrong show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, this was an excellent, excellent uh, episode. In fact, I, I'd go so far as to say in this short space of season two, this actually is my favourite. Um, I loved it. Just the fact of having Howard Stark back... Um, Love his one-liners, mm-hmm. love his quips. Um, there's obviously Jarvis and uh, Peggy there still. And, of course, we get to see the many talents of Whitney Frost and now Dr. Wilkes. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. brilliant. Really, really liked it. Yeah, I'm going to agree. I'm going to go. The, the, it's the old-school Hollywood kind of aesthetics. Mm-hmm. Like even when that first shot of the, 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 the road where they actually it was Wilkes's house. I was like, oh, it even looks like it old does. school. It does. It looks like a backlot in Hollywood studio, really, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, yeah no. Yeah, really and it was just the cast and the writing for this. I think we're three episodes in and they're kind of going strength to strength. Mm-hmm. Um, they, it was incredibly charming, I have to admit. Yeah. But perhaps the best part for me is a really well shot and choreographed fight scene that I was not expecting. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway. And speaking of choreographed uh, fight scenes, we have to obviously run through our co- choreography of... You can, of course, find the podcast on www.defenderstvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes or find us on any other Android uh, device and good podcast catcher, uh, Podcast Addict, Beyond Pod, Player FM, just search Defenders TV Podcast. You can, of course, write into us um, at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com or you can join our group, just search Defenders TV Podcast on Facebook or at DefendersCast on Twitter and tweet, tweet, tweet to your heart's content. Um, tweet, tweet, Yeah, tweet, tweet, tweet. <laughs> um, isn't that an insurance advert? Yeah. <laughs> it is here, yeah. It is, yeah. Um, loads of ways to contact us. There's loads of ways, yeah. No excuse. No almost excuse. like a almost cinematic universe amount. There is, yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot. Yeah. Definitely. We're also on Google+, Plus, but not many people follow us over there. So follow us there. Seriously. Yeah. It's not a bad place. It's a great, I swear. It's great fun. Yeah. Yeah. So for those of you who are just joining us for the first time, uh, we have a unique way of covering uh, our shows. So basically what we do is each of us will take five points of what we loved about this episode and we'll discuss it and we'll go on many rambling kind of 
of detours and we'll go down into the deep crevices that is Marvel Universe and back up into what we loved about the show writing and the directorial and even a boom man that can be seen. <laughs> but so there you have it. It's quite simple. But if you are just joining us for the first time, please go back. We've got 45 other episodes that you need to listen to. Mm-hmm. But it's a nice backlog to work your way through. Week on, every week, we'll be here with the latest episodes and this time we're covering Agent Carter. So now that everything is said and done, I think we've got most of the stuff out of the way. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to hand over and start our discussions about this fantastic episode, Better Angels. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, this episode was directed by David Platt. Really interesting little fact about David Platt. He used to be a boom operator on some big films like uh, Quiz Show cool. and Clockers. Yeah? Pretty yeah. cool. Uh, but he's done lots of directing for TV shows. He's done The Blacklist. He's done Unforgettable. And he's also directed an episode of The Wire as well. So welcome on board to Agent Carter. Uh, he gets the fr- these two episodes, episode three and episode four. So um, really, really good directorial piece from him. I think you mentioned earlier on the whole vibe of this show is quite cool in this yeah. episode. Lots of lots of old school Hollywood and he seems to bring a, a good touch to it. And this episode was written by friend of the show, Jose Molina, fellow podcaster, uh, Jose Molina. Um, he wrote my favourite episodes of season one. It was the episode that starred... Uh, our co-starred the uh, the Helen Commandos. Yeah, um, that was cool. Yeah, the Iron Ceiling, I think it was called. Um, so excellent job. First season. Wonder what he's given us in this episode. I think we're already pretty excited about it. So we're that was kind excellent. Of blowing yeah. our uh, blowing our concept on it. Have we? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's a, he's also a podcaster. He does a show called uh, Children of Ten Do. I highly recommend if you have any interest in Hollywood or TV shows and how they're run. Highly recommend that show. It comes out about once every twelve months. Uh, so a little longer schedule than ours. Uh, but the most recent episode was released about three weeks ago, uh, all about uh, the 11 rules of show running in Hollywood. And I found it fascinating. I have no no possibility I will ever be a showrunner, but it is a fascinating uh, listen. It's about two hours long, but really, really enjoyable. Uh, kept me going on my, uh, on my bus journey to work. So uh, really good. Recommend that one, guys. Well, in a world where anyone can write a podcast and be in a podcast. And to be fair, in a world where Agent Carter is now a thing on TV mm-hmm. coming to us, I'm pretty sure you can be a showrunner someday. Maybe, maybe. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I have to have an idea, a concept, and uh, yeah, a whole a whole management style that I don't have yet. So there you go. I've got a concept. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> we could We're halfway up. there. We could pair up. Uh, John, do you want to tell us what Jose gave us in this episode? Sure. The fallout from events at Ice Design Energy has everyone, including Chief Jack Thompson, called from the New York SSR office, scrambling to spin the news of the explosion as an act of sabotage by the Russian spy, Dr. Jason Wilkes. But Agent Carter is experiencing her own fallout as she blames herself for the death of Wilkes and refutes the Wilkes Russian spy theory as Patsy talk that places her on a collision course with Chief Thompson and his superiors. However, this does not deter Peggy as she, along with Jarvis, enlists the help of Howard Stark in pursuit of the truth about Wilkes, Zero Matter, the Arena Club and Whitney Frost. As Peggy and Jarvis infiltrate the Arena Club to find out more information, weird events and strange goings-on bring a pleasant surprise for Peggy, who can now focus her investigation on Whitney. However, as Miss Frost senses Peggy and the SSR closing in, she focuses the Arena Club's resources against Peggy, just as she starts to find and focus her own newfound energies on those around her, to devastating effect. Okay, guys, let's kick into it. Mm-hmm. We have to now. So who's going to go up first? Who wants to take us all? So, John, what's your first point? Uh, to be honest, I'm going to start at the end because, quite oh, right. frankly, I just loved what happened to the director um, with Whitney Frost. Oh, my gosh. Um, I mean, just that we had seen him, obviously, in last week's episode where he was saying, you know, 
to the lighting guy, can you light an older woman, telling her that she's going to have to skip lunch so that she can stay in this movie, and he's coming in, and I thought something bad was going to happen, but I didn't realise it was just going to take this twisty-turny route to that, which is how he obviously is in love with her, and he kind of fought, well, in a sleazy way, yeah. I mean, like, and forces himself on her, and as she pushes away, just the zero matter coming out and just sort of engulfing this director, like he's screaming away like a little kid because obviously he's like, what the hell? Right. Um, and then I presume gets sucked back into to Whitney. Yeah. Um, and we you just see the the fissure on her forehead, on her temple, that just starting to grow a bit larger. So, you know, she's packed in a bit more now. So uh, that's just sort of split open a bit further. Loved it. Really, really liked it. It was fantastic. Um, just her assimilating this guy, or whether the extra dimension, maybe, if it is such a thing, she's now the portal. So he's gone, obviously, into another dimension entirely. Oh, right, interesting. Uh, rather than maybe combined in with her in some way. So that, I just... It was just like, wow. And then, of course, like, credits going, you're just like, oh, my God, that is freaking awesome. Yeah. You just can't wait for the next episode then. You know, you're kind of going, come on, Fox TV, just air it quicker. I know. You know, faster, faster. Um, so I this I just really, really liked. I even liked just at the start where uh, I think she's in her room uh, back at home and Calvin comes in. But just before that, it's almost like a little drop. It's like it's li- the, the liquid goo just f- comes out and she picks up and it assimilates back into her so she is Whitney Frost but maybe not entirely like she's, it's not like she's behaving any it doesn't seem like she's behaving differently from before the accident mm. but nonetheless she might change now she realises exactly the power at her disposal yeah absolutely I love this final scene I thought it was fantastic I think my jaw was open for the entire credits after watching it uh, really really well done and what I, what I loved about it is as she's looking in the mirror at herself seeing that fissure grow right behind her in the background Have they have the two masks ah yeah. you caught that too yeah, yes. yeah I thought that was really good since as we mentioned last week the character of Whitney Frost is Madame Mask in the comic books so a nice little touch there to have the uh, have the comedy and tragedy masks as yes. well from, from acting um but yeah, a really, really good scene, and and it really does feel like kind of a proper sci-fi show we're getting now. Uh, it is the Strategic Scientific Reserve, as we mentioned in the last two episodes. This is the way this, these characters should be treated and should be should be going is into as, a sci-fi. Yeah, and as Chief Sousa mentions, when he understands exactly what Howard Stark and Jarvis are talking about, yeah, he says this is the Strategic Scientific Reserve. There's way too many S's there, <laughs> tongue-tied and twisted. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, Whitney was actually. One one of my points too mm-hmm. like this this is really fun I was wondering throughout the episode how they were going to make her so dangerous to become a Madame Mask type yeah. it's a nice spin on the character Absolutely. I was wondering what was going to force her to put on the mask of Madame Mask so now we know the more she uses her powers the, the more the fissure grows in her forehead yeah. so it's great um, and it's it's a nice twist on Blackout from the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm. kind of who absorbed electricity 
she now it basically absorbs everything. Absolutely. <laughs> she just spits it out and then sucks it in. Yeah. yeah, really, really exciting moment, I think, watching that watching that part of the episode. Oh, now, brilliant. Once again, it's opened up the universe to, to even more uh, creative villains or even more creative characters. So really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, excellent. Uh, and one other thing, they also answered the question I had last week about how she's going to get acting jobs in Hollywood. If people don't give her a job, she will suck them inside of herself <laughs> and kill them, basically. Yeah, yeah I'm pretty sure it's a uh, film, another horror film. I think it might be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that sounds too like a dangerous casting <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but in this episode, like I, re- I was really happy about Whitney as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it kind of made sh- it made it very clear that Whitney and not her husband Chadwick is the 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 truly evil one in the relationship. That's right. She's pulling the strings, um, and Chadwick doesn't even realize it. Like remember yeah, the scene yeah. with the sitting on the edge of the bed, yeah, love that, and faking as well. the tears, mm-hmm. yeah. and she you can see I was like, oh, that sounds so terrible, it's so fake. Yeah. But then she actually opened well her eyes up, and I was like, oh, they're not making her. There she actually is an actress. She can act exactly, um, and it was really good. I love that that was her superpower before she got filled full of zero matter. Effectively, is to be a good actress. You know, get her yeah, that, way by acting. That brilliant. manipulation of Calvin was really cool. Yeah. Not even just the crying, but you know. What would the arena club think of this? What would the council mm-hmm. like? She's really pushing his buttons because he is ultimately focused on this old man's club and the power it gives him, and the fact that you know he's going to be the senator. Thought it was really good, and then she gets, and we have a name now in Mister Hunt. I want Mister Hunter track Peggy down. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. a great idea that that the bodyguard. Uh, and assassin is called Mr. Hunt. I like that as well. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, really good. Um, yeah, and I, I like the way now it looks like Win Everett. So the the actress who actually plays Whitney, um, she embraces the theatrical side mm-hmm. of this character, and it seemed very fun. So, like, you could see that she turned it on. Like she over she overacted in that scene. And I was like, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, like it was really fun. Uh, one thing I found really interesting is that they've changed her name to Agnes Cully. So the the original the woman who is Whitney Frost isn't Whitney Frost. She's Agnes Cully, the brains behind Isodine. Ah, uh, uh, right. Yeah, on the magazine. Yeah. The magazine cover. Yeah. Agnes yeah. No, Cully. That was cool. Yeah. Um, but they've uh, the bit I liked was they changed it from the comics. Mm-hmm. So Madame Mask isn't Agnes Cully. Um, her original name isn't sorry Whitney Frost in the comics. It's I, I, now, I'm going to butcher this name, Giletta Neferia. Right. Um. Which is a complete, obviously, change from the comics. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was interesting in that I suppose they wanted the flexibility to make the Count Nefaria side and the Magi. I think I killed that name last week in my last episode. Mm-hmm. I called it Mafia, yeah. uh, but it's the Magi. Um, so the crime family in the Marvel Universe, uh, they basically, I think they want to give her a bit, they want to expand the ca- character yeah. a bit further. And I don't mind that. I think Absolutely. they don't need to be, you don't need to be, 100% truthful to the comics. And I like this take on Madame Mas so far. So uh, if you're listening, Jose, don't do anything too crazy next episode. <laughs> Derek, what's your first point? Uh, I'm going to have to talk about Howard Stark. Ah, um, damn you. I'm going to gonna have to start. You've stolen one of mine. It has oh. to be everybody's, every, one of everybody's points. So I'm just going to take a little one. Uh, just some of his some of his comments, some of his, uh, some of his little moments. Um, I love that his introduction is effectively that he's directing uh, a... <laughs> what looks like a terrible Western um, in Hollywood around the time that uh, that Westerns are very popular, obviously. But, but aren't all Westerns terrible, Derek? I'm not a huge fan. There are some great ones, though. Unforgiven is fantastic. Yeah. Everybody quotes it, I'm sure. 
I love young guns. <laughs> <laughs> now that I like. I like blades and saddles. Uh, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. There's a few. There's a few. Uh, but I like effect- effectively that it's Peggy and Jarvis are standing right in the middle of the set yeah. with the camera pointing directly uh, at them, and he's trying great. to get them to move out of the way. But uh, he has the conversation with Peggy, going, "You could star in a movie. You could be the uh, you could be the beer wench, <laughs> uh, the sassy beer wench, the sassy beer wench. Yeah, it's excellent stuff." But he's also directing a movie based on a comic book, which is quite cool. There's loads of little references in there to the fact that, obviously, this is a Marvel TV show, which is based on comic books. So a nice little touches. But the one particular one I want to call out, and I'm wondering, as an Irish person, if this is a reference to one of our most favourite comedy shows, Father Ted. Um, Effectively, when Jarvis is talking to Howard and says, um, says the name Dottie Underwood, and Howard says, who's Dottie Underwood? Jarvis comes back to him and goes... Um, she took you hostage uh, at gunpoint and then says you were wearing your brown mohair jacket and that's the moment that Howard yeah. remembers her which is just like a scene from one of our favourite shows uh, I believe uh, Father Ted where the the idiot Dougal is basically trying to be reminded of what happened to him and when he when something really bad happened to him and then he was told uh, oh, you were wearing a red jumper and remembered uh, so I like the little touch so I don't know whether uh, the guys have seen Father Ted at any at any point, but I love that little touch. It really reminded me of that. But yeah, great to have Herod back, and there's some great stuff throughout the episode. I'm sure you guys had some other points about Herod as well. Yep. No, it was Dominic Cooper is back in flying form. I think in this one, like, yeah, uh-huh. true Howard Stark womanizing brilliantness that Absolutely. is him. Um, even the Peggy appreciating glory, if you want to call it that, because mm-hmm. it was just kind of a, you forget how much he loves Peggy as well. Absolutely. And they're like they're such good friends. There's such a, a great mutual respect between the two of them. Really, she totally respects his research's scientific side and his brain. That, that's why she goes to find him. Essentially, um, there's definitely no no uh, kind of chemistry between the two of them. She would never go anywhere near a womanizer like uh, like Howard. And despite the fact that he pretty much comes on to everybody that's around him, he would never come on to Peggy. They are just best friends, you know. Like I, I love, I love the. I love the fact that Jarvis goes, all, all these women are, are actually all production assistants. <laughs> like, Howard's really good. Um, and, that, like, drinks galore. I mean, Howard is obviously not only prolific womanizer, but also prolific drinker. It's like, oh, a coffee, maybe an Irish coffee. Right. And then it's like, a martini. <laughs> and just bringing all the production assistants to the arena club as well. Um, really thought that was funny. Absolutely. Uh, really I, good. I was thinking we were going to start back up our... our uh jessica jones whiskey watch uh, during this episode because everybody at some point gets a gets a glass of whiskey don't they at some point exactly. throughout the episode so. but instead we'll do a whitney watch <laughs> there you go <laughs> no i loved how like the character of howard can be so narcissistic and flippant and lovely at the same time yeah so it was like when he was talking when he was talking about peggy going i'm great but so is she when he was talking about wilkes he's like he's good stark industry's good yes um and then jarvis I, I really love the Jarvis part where he comes out and kind of say, Howard, something like, uh, I, am I need, in the need to start looking for a new butler? Mm-hmm. Um, and because he was noticing how good they were working together. And I was like, oh, that's nice. He well, didn't do it in a bad way. He's like, yeah, I understand this. You, yeah. have, you have a thing together. Yeah. The, my favorite bit but, was the... Sorry. But Jarvis' response to that is, no, I like working here. And and Howard says, of course you do. It's great. <laughs> I'm great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, 
No, my favourite part in the whole Howard scenes was it shows how much the father-son characters have been put together. Absolutely. So it's like when Howard becomes obsessed, similar to Tony, Mm -hmm. it's the, I'm not going to sleep, It's I just need coffee, 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 and loads of it. Mm -hmm. And like he worked so much just once Wilkes comes back. It was like it was great to see that because that reminds me of nearly every Iron Man film where you, you see Tony kind of obsessing over problems, and then they have the scientist montage in the film, like I'm gonna do stuff, and then it's like cut to music. Yeah, absolutely. Although it's really, really good, and you can, uh, this is what I meant at the at my opening: the connections with the comics and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is definitely Tony's heart dad, right? Yeah, there's, big time. there's, there's yeah. no doubt. Obviously, and obviously you could tell by the name, and we know that. But uh, but you could tell there's such connections between the two uh, one little touch that I thought was really good I was actually going to save it for my notes but I'll drop it in here uh, one touch that I thought was really really good was in the list of uh, of requirements that he gives to uh, to Jarvis I don't know whether you noticed this but one of the lists was I want some heavy metal uh, from uh, from the lab uh, I like that because uh, Tony Stark is obsessed with heavy metal his theme tune is I am Iron Man so yeah. I just thought like father like son there is no heavy metal in 1947 but there is an item in, uh, a scientific item called heavy metal that he could get so a nice little touch there and of course as he leaves the room uh, where him and Wilkes have been working on whatever concoction to try and bring Wilkes back there is in stained glass what looks to be an arc reactor that's right yeah, yeah I thought yeah. that was really cool yeah, yeah. that was cool no, I the that. design's hidden in plain sight. <laughs> so, John, tell us your next point. Uh, my next point is Jarvis and Howard. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's basically the start of Jarvis becoming a, a disembodied uh, voice in a machine. Um, I thought this was really just so cool. And also just them both in the lab as well, helping one another. So... In a different way, Howard is there bouncing all his ideas off Jarvis, asking for what Jarvis thinks about it, and so on, in the same way that Tony Stark is there speaking to the room, uh, and Jarvis, the the artificial intelligence, coming back uh, and saying, um, no, you're wrong, or giving out... uh, quantitative results and all this so really really cool um, and certainly the heightened security thing as well <laughs> not only was there that moment where it goes I'm going to spend the rest of time as a disembodied voice you know and you're just yeah. like going yay you are and then become the vision um, and then but you just have Peggy going um, terrifying her response to warning you are not authorised to access this area um, <laughs> after the attempt on Peggy's life. Like, really cool. Yeah. I, I thought that little nod to the, the future relationship of um, Tony and Jarvis is really cool. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Really I lo- cool. loved it. And I don't know, the moment you're speaking about as well, where, where Howard's kind of teaching the room effectively and goes, and Jarvis, do you have an answer for that? And he says, there's a disruption in the gravitational field around, around Agent Carter. I thought that was fantastic because it really sounded exactly <laughs> like Paul Bethany's uh, version of, of Jarvis in the, in the Ar- Avengers and Iron Man movie. Uh, such great touches. I love this. I love that they're being as playful as they are with the characters uh, this season. Part of that for me is that they, I think they have... The writers and the directors of Agent Carter have a bit of leeway, mm-hmm. a large bit of leeway with this show. It's not Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's not as directly tied to the Avengers films yeah. or that universe. Because this is set in the past. Yeah. So in theory, they could do crazy shit. Mm-hmm. And I think they're getting away with it. But also they're taking... Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has got a lot more, especially since the season three began, it got a lot more 
serious. Yeah. If you want to call it that, then I'm not going to give any spoilers, but there's a lot of kind of toing and froing and twists and turns yeah. and some very serious matters are discussed. I think we spoiled all of it last week. I'm pretty, pretty sure. <laughs> but I, I, in case you, this is your first time joining, I'm not going to spoil it now. Okay. okay. See, because I'm learning. If you want to be spoiled, go, go back. Go back. <laughs> Listen to episode 45. Yeah. yeah. No, but I think this is what the fun part is. They, 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 they understand that this is a, uh, a cliched-filled world in Hollywood, everything Hollywood is what is known to be very fake yeah. and jovial. Everything's amazing. But that witticism is they're pulling it right. It's a 1940s witticism in that it's just fun. I'm not going to be surprised if I see a, a monkey turn up on the set. We've already had a flamingo, for God's sakes. <laughs> Bernard is still running around. Uh-huh. We didn't see him yet. Nope. Bernard, watch. One episode in, we haven't seen him. <laughs> I'm wondering, has he become a chicken nugget? Oh, Let's no. find out. No. The flamingo nugget. The flamingo yeah. nugget. Um, yeah, we didn't have burners, and we didn't have the thing that you can't wait uh, on each episode, which is the um, the the act uh, in yes. the LA Thank SSR God. office. Thank God. The front of the Thank SSR. you, Jose. If you're listening to this, go back to the last two episodes, listen to the two podcasts. You did well, my good sir. You brought comic timing. Boys, look at me. Without the slapstick in the office. See, it can be done. You said you wanted it. It would be where they would be be bringing the comic. See? No. See? This is good writing. Not, I'm going to... It was good writing anyway. He did it in a way without a monkey and a a dancing monkey and a kind of jukebox kind of like rolling around. I still want my Fitz monkey. No, no, no Fez monkey. So, Derek, but now that we're ending a point on a Fez monkey, can you please bring us on to your next point? Yeah, my next point is the meeting of Frost and Carter. Uh, These two haven't met really in the episodes. They even call it out that they were side by side but didn't really have any major conversation. But I loved the palpable tension between these two characters as they both are really politely... Uh, sizing each other up effectively. Uh, you can see that Frost knows exactly why Agent Carter is there. You can see that Agent Carter knows exactly who she's up against here. Uh, she's poking the bear, as she says, before she even gets down there. I love the scene. I love both the actresses playing off each other. I think the really, really good scene, the two of them, um, opposite each other. And I love Whit- Whitney Frost's turn of phrase. You know, she says to, to Agent Carter, they kind of let anybody into the studio now, don't they? And she says, no, no, I find that I can say hi to anybody. And Frost says, we're just like everybody else. We put our pearls on one strand at a time, which I just think is a nice little touch to go. I'm far richer than you. Get out. He's <laughs> like, how many strands of pearls do you have? <laughs> I see one. My God, woman. Right, really nice touch. But really good to see these two characters facing off. I'm sure this is not the last time we'll see them up against each other. No, I agree. This was great for me. But this actually, less Hollywood for me, this was literally, if you have any female friends who at one point hate each other and are having a conversation and being so snide, everything had a double meeting. It was like, oh, oh no, she didn't. (laughs) I was literally going, oh my God, literally it's going to turn into a cat fight. Peggy doesn't cat fight. That's why I was like, this is going to be interesting. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, But no, it was a fantastic, fantastic scene. And like, I think that was the point that you put the two the the anti-hero and the hero of the show together for the first in theory time uh-huh. so uh, like you said they called it out yeah it was the meeting of your arch nemesis mm-hmm. nemesis if you want to call it <laughs> that uh, it was it was just that kind of the one thing I 
kind of hate and I, I, I talked about it a lot is when, you know, when the, the, the big bad kind of does the Bond villain part where mm-hmm. he explains his whole piece. I don't think they're going to do this with Madame Mask with Whitney Frost. Yeah. She's too clever and they've played it off that she is clever. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm glad we're never going to get that Bond villain moment where, well, you're going to die anyway, Peggy, so I'm going to give you all my plan and details and then Peggy escapes and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like, they may do it and I don't think they will. I think mm-hmm. they're going to do it in such a way that this they didn't do it with season one and I don't think they'll do it with season two. Yeah. But they, there was a slight twinge in my mind because they were being slightly campy, not campy, Hollywoody. Mm-hmm. That this whole, like, even the, the, there's a light sheen now. I'm only after copying after three episodes that everything has a slightly distorted feel. Yeah. That there's a, le- not lens flare, lens colouring, mm-hmm. like a slightly yellowing. It looks pastely. Yes. It's almost like a, it's slightly smudged, but yeah. I know what you mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah think- absolutely. And did you, uh, we haven't probably talked about this. I did notice it because the big difference is when you go to Jack Thompson in New York, um, all the colours are much more washed out. It's much greyer in New York and much brighter in LA. And I think that's a conscious choice. We're in a very different city. Susan's wearing a Hawaiian shirt, for gosh sake. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's a very different city. Uh, But I love that that contrast between the two. And I think it's been present, but we probably just haven't talked about it on the the podcast. But yeah. Yeah, Yeah, because when uh, Thompson arrives, all of a sudden I was thinking, are we back in New York now? Because the colour goes much more stark and Mm. much more um, sort of precise. Whereas when it's been in LA, it's... It's always been slightly smudgy, it's felt, or, or you get a lot of the white light coming in. Yeah. It feels like the the sun low in the sky or something like that, or always in the sky, kind of, that kind of feeling. Um, so at moments I was thinking, are we back in uh, New York now? Because this has, like, suddenly gone all hard-edged, definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I mean, for me, just my kind of little take on this, the tension in the room, you could cut it with a knife. I mean, it was great that they, like you say, Chris, the, the kind of, you know, it's, it's the, the two female lionesses that are kind of uh, scrapping yeah. over the, the main lion is really pretty helpless. And um, like, this is really, really cool kind of tension. And um, yeah, I can't wait till we get that again uh, in some kind of, uh, not showdown so much that will hopefully come in time, but just that we get a few more of these encounters that, that are really prodding and probing to find the weakness or to, to ultimately, um, well, I suppose like I really like the thing that Peggy said about, um, Miss, Miss Frost has acted rashly in sending her assassin. I won't do the same thing. You know, that, that kind of aspect of, this tense relationship, I think, is going to be really good because they're both clever ladies. It's going to be a game of chess, you know, but between these two, really seeing where is this weakness. So, um, and I can't wait till Peggy finds out that um, she actually has uh, this fissure um, and the black goo in her because mm. then that changes the stakes entirely. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Chris, do you want to give us your next point? I do. Um, I want to talk about Thompson. Mm-hmm. I, I want to bring him up. I want to have a nice discussion about why people should hate Thompson. <laughs> I know, okay, it's, it's, and that's bad. I, I, it's not. He was just very maddening, the character was, yes. in this episode. Yeah. Like, it was, we're now seeing him for being a coward. Not in that I'm going to run into a 
burning building type coward. He's not that. We know we've seen him in fights. Oh, we've, a, we've seen him yeah. cower in a corner during uh, during the Iron Ceiling last last yeah. season, wasn't yeah. it? That episode was the one that we found out that he... Where he explains to Peggy exactly what happened in uh, the Pacific, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, that's why I liked. We see that he took... She calls out that he took credit for yeah. her work in season one. And I thought that was brilliant. And it showed a real stark difference in what she did now in that she doesn't care. She's going to call him out for his BS. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I was watching that and I was going, if that was my boss, I would never get away to talk, talk him like that. And actually, all he says to her is get on the next plane out of here. I thought it was, you're fired. <laughs> yeah, no, I did. But just on a quick aside, if we're ever showrunners, it will be in the most pontastic uh, series yes. of TV shows ever. <laughs> Add more puns. <laughs> is there more puns? No, of course. This oh is a stark God. day in the Marvel Universe. With stark colours and a person called Stark. <laughs> he came across quite stubborn in this. Absolutely. He's not giving Peggy, like, he's he's admitted how skilled she is. Mm-hmm. And he's not accepting that or at all. And he's then not even showing that his own skills are lacking in that he still hasn't seen what the council are up to and how he was like, no, we'll just close it down. And he gives back the image, uh, the, the video reel of the zero matter. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, like just showing that how much he looks up to authority mm-hmm. and how much he'll bend the knee when possible. And then just in that last, towards the end of the episode where we see that he's copped on that the, this whole thing was the council's manipulation in yeah. the arena club. You could see that spark of spark of, uh, understanding that yeah. pe- oh my god Peggy was right again I know so I'm wondering they, they, we're at a crossroads with this character absolutely yeah is he going to fall in line and he, will he become a traitorous type character do you think and then he'll go further and further down the rabbit hole and at the end have some kind of uh, heroic moment in that he, he'll become, like, he'll learn at the very end of the series, after he's done lots of more bad things for the arena, mm. he's going to go, oh, I, I shouldn't have done this. So he'll go further down. Or now that he's just found out, is he going to go straight back to the SSR? And is he going to then become, like, go, Peggy, you were right. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm hoping now, yeah. There's a definite choice for, for Jack Thompson mm-hmm. here. He goes and, and puts his flag with the, the bad guys or he, he kind of comes to his senses, I suppose, if you, if you will. I mean, like he's coming to that moment where, you know, since episode one, he has been going down that career, um, administrator route where, you know, he will just simply to get his leg up, you know, he's moving towards the FBI. In fact, you could argue his allegiance is no longer with the SSR. Mm. It's with the new order that his, his father's, um, former friend and colleague, um, is saying is now rest with the FBI and presumably CIA. Um, so that's really interesting. He's, he's not got that kind of, that ethical or moral kind of compass that drives Peggy to, to her decisions. He, he's doing it in terms of how do I get to the next level up? It's, it's a career thing. Absolutely. And I think that was really, you know, he comes in and he calls her Marge again. And you kind of think, oh, I thought he'd been, he'd gone past that, you know, um, 
But it is a so, put, his put down for her. Yeah, isn't it? so it's a it's a definite. I mean, he still has huge insecurities, and I have to say, you know, I agree with you that put down by Peggy, where she says you're so afraid of ruffling powerful people's feathers, and in the hope that they will pin another medal on you. I mean, such a great great diss. Yeah. Um, but the other thing I like that Chief Thompson brought into this was just in relation to Wilkes being called out as a Russian spy and this idea of being a patsy essentially for Isodyne or is it the FBI? It, like who really ultimately now is behind this? Who is it the FBI's patsy rather than Isodyne's? They seem to all of a sudden are here at the moment when they need to control the situation. So this all lends itself into that kind of Soviet-era McCarthy paranoia, which I just really, really, like, enjoyed. Um, And even just the fact that with the whole signature to Peggy's report, he says, if you don't sign it, are you a Soviet? You know, and it's just this this pressure and bullying of that kind of era that under McCarthy were... Everyone's a suspect. You you can't question anyone without being labelled a suspect. Um, and this paranoia that infused, um, you know, not just the US, but other uh, countries in Western Europe and, and so on, uh, because of the Cold War threat. So I thought that was all really cool with uh, Chief Thompson. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, as well, and, you know, what that additional layer uh, by bringing him over uh, to the to the West Coast. Really good. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. That this is definitely the crossroads for the character. His choice is either career or the SSR, which is effectively what he's been told is. The SSR is an, is an old beast. It's a dinosaur. It's going to be dead. If you, if you do everything we tell you to do, you're going to be uh, the first in line for jobs at the FBI or high level jobs. It feels like Vernon Masters is someone that's in that is in the arena club. He, it feels like he's part of the council. Uh, we just didn't see his face definitely during that during the council meeting last episode. Um, he feels like he's on the council, and that's where he's trying to push Jack towards as a favor to him, being his uh, being his friend's son kind of thing. That's that's the way it feels like he's trying to mold him in the same image. Uh, really liked it. It's good to see Jack back, to be honest, because he's he really put the the brakes on the kind of. Uh, the fun SSR that we had with Sousa being in charge of Peggy, he kind of puts the brakes on and goes, right, that's not the way it works under me. I'll do everything in my power to stop you having the, uh, having your, your great time out here in LA. Basically, he changes everything. And I love the end of the episode. You see a nice, a nicer side of Jack. He's looking to get Sousa out for a drink, essentially. And then he does a, a standard Jack thing as he says goodbye. He does the standard Jack thing of getting a dig in at Sousa. He's like, like this shirt. <laughs> nice, yeah. little, nice little slag of the fact that he's changed completely now that he's moved out to Hollywood. Uh, yeah, I like that. But I do like Jack Thompson. He's kind of, he is the character I love to hate. Um, by the end of season one, you loved him. And then you had your, your final moment when he, he turns everything over on Peggy and takes the medal, essentially. Um, and here we're seeing that kind of Jack Thompson again, where you do really like him at times. And then other times you're going, oh, he's just the same guy again. He just wants his career, you know? No, absolutely. Okay, so I think we've talked about Jack now and as much as we can for this episode because mm-hmm. we need to find out where his next steps lead. John, what do you want to bring us to your next point? He's alive. <laughs> Dr. Wilkes is alive. Kind of, I suppose. Uh, not entirely. He's there. Not uh, not corporal uh, at this stage. I was really pleased that he wasn't just dead. Um, I'm kind of pretty pleased he's not sort of been sucked into uh, Whitney Frost, like the poor director. And mm-hmm. um, so that was really good. But I also just loved how Peggy just lit up 
uh, on seeing him like a like an apparition coming out of out of invisibility and I, I loved how that made Peggy light up. I think as well just the floating keys and the pen it does link into the whole invisible man thing as well. Absolutely. And um, like I saw that like going on in the the offices of the SSR and I was like going what is that? And I did in my notes kind of put Wilkes question mark right, thinking yeah. it could be him in terms of the invisible man movie where you know he's trying to show and get people's attention show that he's here. Yeah. So I love that cuz that's a real nod back to kind of uh, well, maybe not the 40s so much, but, you know, close to that era of you know, nuclear experiments and, and bad things happening to people. So Yeah, and the classic Universal Monsters kind of uh, kind of Exactly. Yeah. So uh, I love that. But I love the way Peggy lights up with um, Wilkes bit finally sort of being returned, at least temporarily, um, and that she now says, um, you know, you're our best fight against Whitney Frost. You know, she knows so much about the the zero matter and you are the other person that knows an awful lot about it mm-hmm. you're um you're our person to to fight Whitney Frost and I love that um you know he calls her Miss Carson and she says you can call me Peggy so the real kind of um thing starting to de- to develop between the two which I really really liked yeah definitely. um you know yeah and I like Peggy's just how she says you know I treated him um he was a good person trying to do a good thing, but I treated him like a soldier, uh, and that's bad yeah. on me. So, you know, there's still a lot of guilt there uh, for for Peggy, um, but certainly, you know, I think she's got a thang for uh, for Wilkes. Yeah, but uh, yeah, maybe we'll see. Definitely, but we'll see. I I, I I think they'll they'll, they'll play with it, but they're also going to keep the triangle between Sousa herself and Ned Wilkes. Of course, yeah, yeah, of That's course. The, they'll stretch this out to the last episode. Got all about Violet already, haven't you? Yeah, I have. <laughs> but no, she's evil. We know this. I'm going to go back to it. I was really happy that they, um, and, and actually we haven't mentioned this yet, but because uh, it only kind of, as soon as she became intangible and invisible, I was like, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. I've, I've heard of this thing before. Mm-hmm. So I put Wilkes plus invisibility into the Google and lo and behold, Wilkes is in the Marvel Universe. Right, right. Yeah, there you go. See, back in Atlas Comics days and the Tales of Suspense, issue 25 in 1962. Very good. Dr. Wow. Jason, Professor Jason Wilkes appeared. And in this, he was a scientist who was contacted by a communist agent who offers him a million dollars for research into an invisibility ray. Wilkes' greed makes him accept treason and he succeeds. But he finds that after testing the ray upon himself, he's become intangible and cannot touch the invisibility antidote. Oh, very good. To turn the switch. So I would like, this was just a nice nod back to... Oh, big time. Like... An it's Atlas like, comics character Atlas as well. Comic, That's yeah. cool. Yeah. And we've also mentioned the Tales of Suspense is the movie that Whitney Frost is starring in in uh, in this particular show in, in Agent Carter. It was old comics that have been going back many, many years around the time of Strange Tales and, and a bit before. Um, yeah, so that's really that's really cool. Nice little touches. Yeah. And I know, so, like, it was a nice touch there, but I also liked, I have to admit, I liked this character. He ha- He's a very self-deprecating type character. Yeah. Like, he was going, oh, my God. Uh, Howard's done so much. He's he's really is a brilliant, brilliant man, etc., etc. And I like that. And then again, yes, like you said, calling her Miss uh, Miss Carter, Agent Carter. It was another way of it. Again, we talked about this briefly in previous episodes. They're still showing that 
the, the, the culture of the 1940s where a black man wasn't a scientist. He yeah. didn't, wasn't seen with a white woman. Uh, and they're still nodding back to that where he would have to be polite to every yes sir yes mister absolutely stark etc yeah it's just ingrained in him and i didn't catch that until i was looking back when i watched i watched this uh episode twice because i wanted to try and catch some of the small bits like the the arc reactor etc but this was the bit where i was like oh you don't catch those little idiosyncrasies in the script until you actually kind of go Oh wait! Did he just both call them by like Mister and Mrs. and yeah. Mister Jarvis? And he's very formal. Yeah, and that's what absolutely. we only cop it then. And it was nice to just find out that you know Peggy wasn't slowly freezing to death, or that she wasn't contaminated with the the zero matter, and that it was him following her around, trying to get her attention. Yeah, that when they're doing the experiments, they're. Uh, at Stark's uh, gaff. That was just really kind of nice. And I, I thought actually the, the special effect of him coming out from invisibility was pretty cool as well. I can't um, hear him. We've yeah. got to code his yeah. larynx too. I was like, oh, that's clever. <laughs> that works. Yeah. That was a bit of a crazy one. I like. I liked it though. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice little style change for the show actually. I think it's really cool. Uh, again, very sci-fi. Do you think that the exposure to Zero Matter that, or Wilkes to Peggy is perhaps the reason she had cancer and dies at the old age? Um, is I, it radioactive? Like I think she's lived a very long time. So if that's the exposure, makes her last for another sixty years and die of cancer. I don't know. Um, I don't know a whether shocking that's dark that twist. To the <laughs> um, it's a, it's all Wilkes's fault. Seventy um, years on, years it might be if he is the same person that she's had the relationship with. It might be the reason why he's still not around at that time. Oh, she just can't be seen. Da, 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 da. <laughs> he's still alive. So, Derek, what's your final point? Um, my final point is a really small one, I think, but it's another connection with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's Peggy uh, standing outside, punching the punch bag, exactly like her old flame Steve Rogers does uh, in. The future, I guess. Now it's it's kind of difficult on the timeline, isn't it? Uh, but yeah, when you see him in New York in the Avengers, when he's punching that punch bag and knocking it off its uh, knocking it off off its hinges, I guess. Um, this is exactly what Peggy's doing. She's got that got that real stance, got that real boxing stance, uh, beating the hell out of this uh, punch bag when when things aren't going right for. Her. And I love that she starts to scare Jarvis uh, as he's trying to say to her, you know, um, would you like a sparring partner? Oh. Um, I'm sure Howard could hire one for you <laughs> as he's attempting to uh, to offer up his services and then gets a bit scared by how powerful she actually is. Uh, I think that's really good. Again, Peggy's not super powered. She's not from the Super Soldier program, but I love the the kind of uh, similarities between those two characters. They're very, very connected still. I love that they've done that as a touch in this episode. Yeah, no, I have to agree. It was, it was a nice... But we do forget that in the first, what, Captain America, the first Avenger, mm-hmm. we see there was that montage where they, they took down loads of bases and stuff. So there was yeah, probably yeah. an extended period of time where she was with him and he would be training. So you can see that she probably kind of got trained by him into this fighting stance. And or things. maybe he was trained by her. Yeah. Oh, there you go. That's yeah. very possible. Yeah. But she is a hell-in commando. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm giving her the title. If it hasn't been hasn't been given to her or bestowed upon her before, I am definitely saying she is a hell-in commando. Uh, she's one of the of Cap's uh, closest Confidants and definitely one of the members of the Helen Commandos. But as well. she's a woman. Of course she is. They have every everybody's allowed in Helen Commandos. Chris, do you want to give us your final point? Yeah, I'm going to round things off with discussion. Uh, the end, the fight with Mister Hunt. 
Cool. Um, yeah, it was really well choreographed. So good. Yeah, uh, really like, good. I was expecting, okay, maybe when he brought the uh, the garrote across her neck, she'd stick the hand in and then yeah. it wouldn't be and she'd flip and blah, blah. No, no, she started getting choked. Mm-hmm. And then it was by Grace, by saving Grace, that she fell into the pool and she wasn't aiming there. And you could see that it was very much, it was what you would expect in a fight like that. She wasn't super powered, as you say. She didn't flip him and do like twist uh, 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 Natasha Romanoff type style, yeah. jump in the air and like hit with batons. No, no, she's a hardcore just SSR agent. She yeah. takes the hits, she takes the punches. She got a few good punches in on him as well. Yeah, uh, no, exactly. <laughs> nice, nice punch in the face that she got in. Uh, didn't dislodge him, but I do like that they used the pool to to uh, get him off her, basically, which I thought, thought really good. Really good. That was uh, cool. And Jarvis got in on the action with his frying pan, which was really good. Um, <laughs> and I mean, like, no messing. She's immediately up going for a gun and firing and she hits him yeah. but then she gets a lot of slugs into the, the punch bag as well yeah, yeah, yeah. poor punch um, bag <laughs> taking a lot of damage that day it did. and of course that leads the whole garrote as well and the, the big bruising on her neck leads to the um, you know the unforgettable line from Chief Sousa uh, about wow having to go to all the way to France to get something like that on your neck so, um, <laughs> which maybe back in those days you know could be true it, it could have been true well, yeah. it, was, it was before French kissing in the USA that song so it didn't happen before then did it <laughs> <laughs> who knows who knows I, the one thing I want to point out and I know this could be absolutely nothing or it could be something mm-hmm. the way Mr. Hunt jumped over the wall when he was running away it was a a bound a two-legged kind of crunched up bound mm-hmm. that you would expect from someone slightly super powered or slightly different not just a, a standard thug now I'm probably reading way too much into a right. jump right. but I was just like oh oh okay so I think we'll find that he maybe is Hydra Oh, maybe. Or some type of assassin uh-huh. uh, by the name Mr. Hunt. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, his name's going to be Howard Hunt. It's going to be double barreled. <laughs> like, you know, he's going to be, oh, yeah, you're from Marvel Universe. Yeah, uh, yeah you're a bad guy. Howard Hunt of Hydra. I like yeah, it. Yeah. The Triple H. <laughs> yeah, Triple H. Wee, buddy slam. I think that's all, all the points we have, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, it is for me. Yeah. Uh, it is for me as well. John, do you have any notes on the episode? I do. We have the pin pop up again, and obviously that is at least what's being said publicly is an A for Arena, yeah, and yeah. the Arena Club. And we, you see it not only on the pin, you you actually do see um, uh, Vernon Masters, who plays the FBI um, chief. He has one of those yeah. in his lapel uh, as well. So that's right. Yes. You have that. that, and you have it above the door uh, in the club, uh, just before you go into the, the the library where it's all bugs. And of course, the SSR bugs don't actually work, so they've got countermeasures, which seems pretty Hydra esque as well. And um, so, yeah, this the arena club and the pin, and obviously, um, Peggy doesn't know that Dottie Underwood has been taken in by the FBI, because certainly Thompson never mentioned that. So, Mm. you know, there's still all this power play with um, the council and the arena club. Is it Hydra? Is it not? So that was really cool. Yeah, 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 definitely. Chris, do you have any notes? Yeah, I'm just going to call out one that uh, Derek discussed very briefly earlier, the part where um, 
basically Howard is making a comic book film. Yes, yes. And it was a reference to Marvel's Kid Colt. He called out Kid Colt. Uh-huh. Kid Colt was a Marvel comic back in the day. Yes. I believe actually yes. could be an Atlas comic even that far back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought it was brilliant. But the, one of the small note I want to bring out is when uh, Peggy makes a comment about wanting to be a cowboy in the film rather than a drunken barmaid, which kind of Howard replies to the audience uh, isn't ready to see a female lead character. Yes. Now, I thought straight away, I was like, oh, wait, oh, that's obviously a play on that Peggy Carter, Agent Carter is a show with a female lead. Mm-hmm. And then I slightly went down the rabbit hole and I went, but ha- wait, hold on. If they filmed this in X, it would have probably been written in Y. Right. That would probably lead around the time when they push back Captain Marvel, the right, film. Right, right. So I think it might be a nice jab at actually Marvel, mm-hmm. kind of like a two-handed jab, kind of like, okay, yeah, this is a, a joke about Peggy Carter and Agent Carter, mm-hmm. but also that that was something that they, everyone keeps going back is Captain Marvel, the world isn't ready for a Captain Marvel film. By the uh, it obviously Captain Marvel in... The Marvel Universe is a woman, wherein Captain Marvel in the DC Universe is a boy. Literally a boy. I'm not saying he's not a man, he's a, he's a boy. Yeah, he's that's a, right. He's imbued with magic. Yeah. Um, I am but, so ready for a Captain Marvel film from Marvel. I'm which, really looking forward to it. Which, yeah. which, which, which Captain Marvel? <laughs> I'm really looking forward to seeing that, actually, in a, in a couple of years' time, but yeah. Yeah, but it probably would have been around that same time. When they when they were writing this episode, it, very, when yeah. it was pushed back, so yeah, it's like, very no, I think it was a nice job, and it's true. Like we we've seen so many the the with casting announcements or mm-hmm. rumors, so many. It was huge around the old age of Ultron time. Yeah, there was loads of talk about it, and then now it's gone silent. Again. Yeah, yeah. Shame. I know. But Give us be, our Captain Marvel. It'll be coming. They're just in promotion mode for uh, for a Civil War at the moment, so that's. Uh, that's that's all that's happening, oh, I think. Of course. And now we live in a world where we've just come out of Jessica Jones and Agent Carter on TV, so everybody's totally prepared for this. Supergirl's doing really well for the other side, so um, so yeah. So I think they're they're definitely warming up the world, ready for the entrance of Captain Marvel. We're really looking forward to it. Yeah, and yeah. definitely Doctor Strange as well. Of course, of course, of course. <laughs> we just have to talk. He got it in. That's it, people. He got in this one, every episode. There's a Doctor Strange reference. It is my it mission. In case you weren't aware enough, Doctor Strange is coming in November. But what date, in John? It's all leading to October the twenty eighth, uh, twenty sixteen, in uh, the UK and in Ireland. That's there right. You go. Uh, but in November, for those of you in uh, the US. Uh, once again, we win. <laughs> for once, we are ahead of the curve. Whee! Although, then we'll get told off for spoiling uh, North America with all the great stuff that's going to happen in the Doctor Strange movie. So, Derek, do you have any notes? Yeah, just a couple of little notes. It's actually all in the Arena Club when uh, when Peggy's um, going around the back of, of the Arena Club trying to set up the microphones, essentially. Uh, some lovely little touches in here. She's trying to put one into a suit of armour, uh, which I thought was quite fun because when she opens up the visor on the armour, the uh, library behind her opens up with all the members of the Arena Club walking out. A nice little touch because usually that's where the the uh, hidden button for a hidden library would be, would be in the suit of armour. You pull the arm or you lift off the, the helmet, but I love that it's it's like as if it's connected, but yeah. it's not. They're pushing the door from the other side. Um, and then, of course, probably my favourite line in the episode, um, when she's caught by the security guard ba- in the back of the arena club, uh, and she's holding a gigantic book, 
puts it down and says she's lost because she gets really confused when she's around books. I just thought, really good touch. Hold on, is that better than Suze's I now speak Hollywood? <laughs> that was very good. Yeah, come on. That that was was, in terms of an episode full of one-liners, what? Yeah, there's so many, so many great ones. Once again, another great episode. Um, on that note, Chris, do you defend this episode of Agent Carter? I do. I really do, guys. And usually, you come on, you by now your listeners know that I'm slightly negative about everything. But no, <laughs> this is probably the strongest episode of season two so far. Um, Better Angels quickly showed the very dynamic way that the Dark Force can be used. It showed a nice standoff between the two protagonist and the antagonist of the show that we know is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it showed, basically, yeah, we've got Thompson teetering on the edge of being a good or bad guy. We didn't get too much Sousa. We didn't, we got enough of him. It was, it was a shame. Potentially there was a bit more there. We had enough Jarvis, but oh my God, we got Harrod back, guys. Mm-hmm. It was fantastic. For me, this was really, it was really well written. It was really well directed. Uh, it didn't feel too hammy. There was no dancing monkeys or dancing cheerleaders or anything in the talent agency. So that made my day. Um, but Harry Stark return was probably the biggest, most welcome one for me. It was kind of the best. And overall, it kind of the episode just kind of represented a really strong balance between Agent Carter's comedy and Agent Carter's kind of drama. It, it just was a nice thread. And again, it was probably the first episode that I noticed the lighting effects and changes. Mm-hmm. And like, so I think this was overall for me was, it could be that just getting into now season two a bit more. Right. Uh, it could be because I'm only podcasting now about season two and I'm noticing these things. Uh-huh. But I think it was, yeah, for me, I defend this episode. Excellent. So, John, do you defend this episode of Agent Carter? I do defend this episode of Agent Carter. I would more than happily give it 4.5 code pinks, women in the podcast room out of five. <laughs> um, I just thought, again, two reintroductions here. The fact you had Howard return, as Chris has said, but just how he um, spars off Jarvis and Peggy, I thought was great. I loved how the uh, Zero Matter was resolved from the previous episode, at least to see how um, Whitney Frost can can utilise it uh, and how, uh, against obviously the director there, and just how um, Wilkes isn't dead, but he has been transformed by it into, you know, ultimately the invisible man. Really like that. And I love the reintroduction of uh, Chief Thompson all the way from New York for a guest appearance, you know, in that sense, over to LA. Seeing that contrast between the LA and New York operations, but also bringing in that bigger picture with his association now with the FBI mm. and that McCarthyism, that paranoia element, um, you know, I thought that was excellent. I've always kind of liked some of the um, the running social themes that they've had in Agent Carter, whether it's a, about women in society or, or people from different backgrounds, their place in society. And now we have you know different political um, views and ha- their place in society at different times. And this was really good uh, as well. And of course, you know, that scene in the arena club with all the ladies running into the old man's club, you know, the the, um, the pale and male club right. was fantastic. Um, so we also got to find out that 
Jarvis's 116th Turkish. So this to me was just, it just felt right. The, the balance between the, um, the comedy and the seriousness of, of the endeavor that's ahead of the SSR and Peggy was really good. Um, and of course we had that nice fight, uh, which came out of the blue really yeah. between Mr. Hunt and Peggy Carter. And Mr. Hunt lives for another scrap with uh, the SSR heroine, so I can't wait to absolutely defend this episode of uh, of Agent Carter. Great episode. For me, the best so far, um, but only just pipping the other two, definitely. Uh, Derek, do you defend this episode of Agent Carter? Yes, I do. This episode was fantastic. It's one of this. You guys have said pretty much everything that I would have said about this episode. The only other thing is that closing scene in the episode where we finally get to see a character using Zero Matter. It was like something out of Spawn comics. It was fantastic. <laughs> yes. It was like Venom almost. Uh, that's what it felt, look, looked like she was using that kind of character's uh, powers, mm. which I thought was quite cool. But it left my jaw open afterwards and I went, I, I don't want to talk about anything other than Agent Carter now for the next 24 hours. <laughs> you know, I'm delighted that we have a podcast so we can just go and talk about it, uh, talk to our listeners about it. It's fantastic. I love this show. I can't wait for next week's episode. Really exciting. I 100% defend this episode and probably the best episode of Agent Carter since The Iron Ceiling, which featured uh, the Helen Commandos. That one had me almost in tears. So this one didn't just didn't get me there, but it was an excellent, excellent episode. We have no direct feedback this week uh, on the episodes. Uh, if you want to send us feedback, just send us an email to feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. What we do, what we did get is a review on iTunes, which we always love. If you want to re- write a review on iTunes for us, just go to defenderstvpodcast.com slash iTunes. It'll take you directly to our page on there. Pop us on a review. Uh, this review came from Ronaldo over in Australia. Uh, really good of you to, to put a five-star review up, up there. We don't have that many listeners over in Australia, so uh, if anybody else over there wants to add a couple of reviews, hopefully uh, our podcast will pop up and feeds over over the other side of the world. Uh, but thanks so much for the review, Ronaldo. And again, anybody else wants to leave us a review there, they're always helpful. Yeah, thank you so much, Ronaldo. It was really appreciated. Really, thank you for Ronaldo. Um, I know we've chatted a good bit on uh, Facebook, so yeah, thank you so much. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Five stars enjoyed it. Yes. Yeah, but remember, wherever you are in the world, you can find us at defenderstvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes or on any other good podcast catcher. Just search uh, Defenders TV Podcast, subscribe, leave a review, and we will pop into your ears like Chorley FM. Um, so it's, again, send any feedback to feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. And uh, thank you so much for listening. Yep, no, and that's it, guys. So Defenders... Time to wrap. Defenders, ho! <laughs> I'm, I'm, tr- I'm trying to figure out new ways that to annoy the guys when I'm actually leading the podcast. It's fantastic. So actually, if you have any ideas, send it to feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com because I want to hear it. You know I do. You know I want to know what you think I should do to annoy Derek and John while I'm in control that one in every three times. Oh, two more weeks off. Yeah, there you go, people. <laughs> uh, also, make sure you follow us on DefendersCast on Twitter. Uh, we will we do live tweet the episodes they're on uh, 9 o'clock GMT every Thursday night uh, on Fox TV UK so we're always watching it always happy to uh, to chat with other fans uh, so make sure you follow us over there alright we will talk to you next week or maybe we'll do lunch yeah we could that's do that's what lunch. they say in LA isn't it yeah I think yeah, so we'll do lunch bye
I don't know, the moment you're speaking about as well, where, where Howard's uh, kind of teaching the room effectively and goes, and Jarvis, do you have an answer for that? And he says, uh, this is, uh, and he says, there's a, I'm going to get this on the start. And he says, there's a disruption in the gravitational field around, around Agent Carter. I thought that was fantastic because it really sounded exactly <laughs> like Paul Bethany's uh, version of, of Jarvis in the, in the Avengers and Iron Man movie. This has been a Flickering Myth Podcast Network production. For more information, head over to flickeringmyth.com for more shows like it. Find this show in iTunes by searching for the podcast name and head over to youtube.com forward slash flickeringmyth to subscribe to the Flickering Myth movie show. We'll see you on the next podcast. Take care. Bye-bye.